Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Truth. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtains. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Secret societies, secret oaths, secret proceedings. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for His church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European superstate, and more. All in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. Welcome, everybody, to As the Day Approaches. For those of you who are new to this show, you might be a little confused hearing um, uh, Phil Armstrong as the introduction. I still have to get together with him and get this changed so we can have an introduction of our own. And uh, I just want to welcome you. Those of you who are new, I want to let you know that this show is about prophecy, world religions, pseudo-Christianity, which is cults, also the occult, and uh, uh, intolerance. We look at all these things that are going on in the world and see how they work together in prophecy in our day. I'm really excited about the topic today. Uh, we are doing a new topic. We finished getting, uh, finished with the emergent church movement. Those of you who would like to go back and listen to some of those archive copies, you're welcome to do so. But Today we start a new series, and uh, we're going to be talking about specifically today about date setting and the year 2012. Now, this is one of my favorite topics is talking about prophecy and how uh, it looks today and, and what's going on and what people are thinking and talking, very analytical and philosophical and skeptical which makes it uh, very interesting for me to go and look at all points of view. So uh, we're going to explore this today and see what's the big deal about uh, the year 2012. Now, 
have you ever you know have you ever wondered why so many people seek to know why and when the world will come to an end? And what about biblical prophecy that foresee the second coming of Christ? Now, are we living in a day when we may possibly see the fulfillment of Scripture spoken about about close to almost 2,000 years ago? Now, what kind of times uh, do we live in? And what about those before us that thought they lived in this day? Now, what do we do with their predictions? What do, do we have better and more precise signs and to determine a day? What about uh, predicting? Should we predict the season or day in which Christ will come? And you hear all this, you know, you hear this again and again. Now, are we allowed to speculate or predict his coming? And what does the Bible say? These are all the topics we're going to look into. And I, in doing this study, I go on the website and and I found a a, a great website. Let me see if I can I'll pull it up for you. And it has a list of all the dates. It's called Library of Date Setters for the End of the World, and it has over 200 dates that have been set since the time of Christ of people who said that He was going to come back. We're going to look at a few of those. I can't go through all of them, but we will look at some prominent ones. We're going to also look at some of the crazy ones that have been predicted since that time as well, which aren't necessarily Christian. But everyone seems to be predicting a time of the end, a day in which the world will come to an end. It's kind of interesting that that we would all think this way. Uh, So we are in a timeline as people. God set time in place, and we actually understand that we are not forever. Now, what about all the hoopla over the the year 2012? Now, have you heard? It seems many are focused on a year, a date. Everyone seems to be talking and gearing up for something to happen on December 21st, 2012. And I hope I didn't say the year 2002 is 2012. Is this the end of the world? Or is it, like others say, the end of the world as we know it? What's going to happen on on December 21st, 2012? Do we know? Can we know? Do we even care? It seems that for many who have heard, there seems to be two kinds of reactions. One is fascination, like for me. And the other is fear. I've had friends that, you know, when we talk about this stuff, I scare them half to death. And they're like, do we have to talk about this? So some have fear, anticipation, fear, and others have fascination. So you fortunately get somebody who's fascinated by all this and who can actually talk about it. Now, some are preparing for a worldwide cataclysmic event, others at great enlightenment or an emergence of something totally new. Now, can we expect something to happen? And if we can expect something to happen, will it? Should we worry? How should we as Christians react to the, uh, this prediction? Must we pay attention, or is, all, is it all hype, and should we just totally ignore it? What should our response be, and what do we do with our own brothers and sisters who are predicting their own dates? 
Now, these are some of the questions I hope to answer today on this episode as of as the day approaches. Throughout history, there has always been date setters. Even before Christ, people predicted either a Messiah coming or a prediction of the end of time. And a prediction of a Messiah-type character is not just a biblical expectation. Other religions have their own prophets, their own date setting, and their own timelines and expectations. For example, the year 28 B.C., this is the oldest surviving prediction of, of the world's imminent demise. It was found inscribed on an Assyrian clay tablet which stated, Our earth is degenerate in these latter days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery, corruption are common. Wherever more than two people are gathered together, expect to hear remarkably similar stories. Now, if you heard what I said, this was 2800 B.C., that's before Christ. And we also understand, those of us who are Christian listening to this program, that there was a Noah's flood, and in that time, in that day, that was the end of the world as they knew it. Uh, so we just wonder if there was date centers. We do know that Enoch was prophet of God, and he probably prophesied uh, the coming of the flood, as Noah did by building the ark. Enoch walked away with God. You find that in Genesis, uh, right before uh, Noah was told to build the ark. Now, date setting for the imminent return of Christ has been ongoing since before Christ. Uh, Well, excuse me, since after, right after Christ, Jesus died and resurrected. Even the fledgling young church uh, experienced these issues. Jesus died and resurrected in the midst of the storm of messianic claims. So when Jesus came on the scene, he was not the only Messiah that was claimed. We see this in the apostles' first defense in front of the Jewish leaders in Acts. So Actually, in the Bible, in Acts chapter five, twenty-nine through thirty-nine, it's, it actually tells you of a, a Messiah-type person who claimed to be a Messiah. So let me read this to you. Peter and the other apostles replied, "We must obey when before the before the uh, Sanhedrin or before the uh, uh, the lead Jewish leaders." We must obey God rather than human beings. And this is in the temple when they went and healed the man in the temple. And they were like, how did you, how did you heal this man? And he's, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ. So God, Peter is talking and he says, God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, when the Jewish leaders heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamil, teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. That's Peter and I think John was with him. Um, Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis, there's the person, Thetis, appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers are scattered. Therefore, in the present in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will, be, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. So you found two people that that uh, Gamil was talking about who claimed to be the Messiah. Now, what Gamil said about Thaddeus was recorded by the Jewish historian Josephus. It says in 44 AD, a Messianic leader named Thaddeus, Thaddeus, or however you say his name, declared himself the Messiah, taking 400 people with him into the desert. Thaddeus was beheaded by Roman soldiers. So Jesus came in a time period, and we know this by by uh, the the uh, uh, what are you, sorry yeah we know this by all the 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 people that were fighting against Rome. I just went blank. Um, uh, Judas Iscariot of uh, you know he was a uh, Okay, you guys can say it for me because, you know, I just went blank on the word. Zealot. There we go. And they were, and there was a lot of that at that time. So it's amazing, you know, that things happen. Um, and I believe Satan has, you know, some play in this, that, that when the Messiah is doing something, when God is doing something and the Messiah appeared, there also appeared a lot of other false things too. So we wonder maybe if this is similar to that in any way. Now, in AD 53, even before all the books of the Bible were written, there was talk that Christ's return had already taken place, that the day of the Lord was at hand, and they had missed the rapture or missed the second coming when Jesus would come, you know, in a twinkling in an eye. Uh, the Thessalonians panicked, and Paul wrote to them about this in one of his letters, and that is Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or a word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will come, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So even from the very young, uh, days of the young church, uh, they had uh, prophecies about the second coming of Christ. And then in 80, uh, 80, 80 AD, uh, a Jewish leader named Ben Zakai expected the Messiah about the same time of his death, and he died about 80 years old, and the Messiah never came. So they were the Jews were still preaching the coming of the Messiah, the first coming, and so that was continuing on from there. From the time of Christ to the end of the first millennium, there was at least 40 claims to the Messiah or the return of Christ. Uh, that is to the year 1000. Most of these claims... 23 out of 45, to be exact, occurred within the last 10 years 
before the turn of the century. It seems like at the turn of the century, there becomes more predictions and more uh, people are, are are panicking or, or getting riled up because, wow, what's the next century? It seems like this happens every single time. There were 54 claims or dates in this chart that I'm talking about. I'm talking about that chart that has more more than 200 um, uh, predictions. So I'm actually kind of going with my numbers on that. There are 54 claims or dates set for the return of Christ and the end of the world from the year 1000 to 19 to the 1900s. That's like a 900 900 year period of time. Uh, there's 54 claims about that. Now that's like kind of a long period of time, but just wait and, and see, you know, what's going on right now. After that, there was 85 claims just in the 20th century alone. That is in 1900. So the 1900 alone had 85 claims compared to 54 in 900 years. Now, we don't know if the reason for that is because of the printing press or uh, because people were talking about it or uh, there is just the signs or the or things that people were watching that were seeming like the time is getting closer. So uh, there is a theory that, you know, in that 900-year period, if there was a lot of thought about uh, the second coming and that it was pre, it was imminent, that it would be talked about a lot more and it would be more in oral literature and yeah, it would be more prominent than it was. So... It kind of gives you an idea that maybe there's something going on right now. Now, since the year 2000, there have been 34 claims climaxing at the year 2012. So there's some that have not come to pass and some that are going to. So just in this year alone, uh, it, well, in this century alone, there's 34 claims. And these are the ones that are recorded. These are not the ones that, that are not recorded. Whether the ex excessive date setting has been because of a, an excess of paper, like I said, or, or because of the computer or the turbulent times that are upon us, like never before, it's hard to tell. And, and hopefully questions about this will be somewhat answered for you today. And maybe it will, you know, maybe it will in our conversation you know, at least stir you up in such a way that uh, you can at least be the judge. Now, let me give you some examples of what is actually being said. Now, the second century A.D., it was around 155 A.D., the monastists founded by a man called Monastus were perhaps the first recognizable Christian end-of-the-world cult. They believed that Christ's triumphant return was imminent and established a base in Anatolia, Tola, central Turkey, where they anxiously awaited for doomsday. And we know that that never happened. Now, in 19, uh, 1648, after a close study of the Kabbalah, the Turkish rabbi Zabatai Zevi predicted that the Messiah would make a miraculous return in 1648, and that is his and that his name would be Zabatai Zevi, or, yeah, was he predicting himself, when 1648 came and went without appreciable apocalypse, the Bati revised his estimate. <clears throat> I don't know, we'll jump to 1972. The Shakers predicted the end of the world. Those of you who are familiar with the Shakers, they're one of the first groups in that century to predict the end of the world. 1988, my favorite 
Um, how many of you remember the book that that came out in 1988 called The 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, based off the Feast of Trumpets in Rosh Hashanah, September 11th, 12th, and 13th. I remember this booklet being handed out in my, by members of my church in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to a charismatic church, loved the church. Uh, we have, uh, that church was part of the Jesus movement, but... For some reason, I don't know if we were promoting it. I was young, um, but I was very, you know, already studying New Age. And well, it wasn't New Age, but you know, I was studying it. I was Christian studying it, and and studying my apologetic journey and Daniel and Revelation and New Age. So when they were handing that out, I was actually really curious. And so uh, at the same time, I go, "What if it was true? It sounds kind of kind of close. It sounds." Uh, pretty close, excuse me, to what they're, you know, talking about. And in the front of his cover, it says that, you know, there's a there's a plea in the front cover. Uh, it was actually by a man named Edgar Weinsnett, and he spent over 14 years organizing the, the 886 end-time Bible prophecies, working with many other Bible scholars, materials to establish dates and doctrines. So here he sounded really, really, you know, astute and studious and Breenish. And, you know, we didn't know much about, you know, the Jewish culture. I actually had experience with the Jewish people on my own when I was a teenager. I was actually um, invited by them on their holidays of Rosh Hashanah um, and the Passover uh, to um, the Day of Atonement. Uh, on those days, I was invited, and I was to invite another friend of mine to go over to their house and serve them their meals because I was a Gentile, and um, they could not do the the extra work. There was certain work they couldn't do. So I served them, and I did their dishes, and I helped uh, get things prepared. So it was a quite interesting. So I did have some experience with the Jews. I have no clue how... Um, I uh, got involved with them. I don't know if it was because of my school. I went to a Catholic high school, and we were right next to a Jewish synagogue, and maybe they were asking for Gentiles from the school, and that's how I got it. But anyway, so his book sounded really, really astute, and he also said that he had somebody else at another place in Texas, I believe, that... um, that was coming up with the same thing. So they were saying, well, it's better that we warn you in case it does happen. And a lot of people fell prey to this, this 1988 reasons. And a lot of them on the second day say, well, maybe this isn't quite right. And uh, people were preaching it, uh, telling about, about it and, and saying that you got to be ready. And there's a lot of evangelism. I remember, I, I remember. And, you know, I didn't actually keep my book. I don't know where my book went, but I actually found a copy of this 88 Reasons. And then in 1989, he, you know, it didn't come then. So he said, oh, wait a minute, I was off the year. So here in 1989 at the, at, at the you know, one of the feasts of, of it. The only good thing that came out of this, I think, was people became, in the church, became more aware of Jewish feasts and holidays and things like that. So, that, in a sense, was good, but the prediction date 
even knowing in the scriptures that you cannot predict the day or the hour, they did predict days. So um, it says in Matthew 24, 35 through 37, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the sun, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And it's interesting that he would do this and sound so studied. Um, you'd think that, you know, Jesus, you know, if it was written in the Old Testament, like it said in this 1988 reasons why the rapture was going to happen in 1988, if it was in there somewhere that we could not see, Jesus would have found that and told us. So I thought that was quite interesting. 1994, Harold Camping in his book, Are You Ready?, predicted the Lord's return in September of 1994. The book was full of numerology, which I believe is occultic personally, um, and and so I don't understand why he would use numerology and the Bible, which can be called Christian, but he was. And that added up to September 6, 1994, as the date of Christ's return. He has recently set October 21st, 2011, as the date of the end of the world. So have you heard about that date? So we've got, what, couple months before this date is going to expire. Uh, <clears throat> so if you have anyone who's thinking about this date, you may want to ask them about what Harold, Harold Camping said, and maybe they don't even know that they, he already predicted the end of the world in 1994. And we are told in the Old Testament that the way we know a false prophet is that they pre- speak presumptuously and the, what they say does not come to pass. Now, the church has not been the only ones who have a history of failed predictions. Pseudo-religions, religious groups have two, such as a big one, number one, Jehovah's Witnesses. They have set the date so many times, and I'm going to go through this because this is amazing how many times that they've set a date and they claim to be the prophet of God. Jehovah's Witnesses have set several dates for the prophetic end. These are the dates, 1914, 1915, 1918, this is considered the invisible return of Christ because he really didn't come physically, so it has to be invisible because they can't say it didn't come. The original position of the this was the original position of the watchtower. Then Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, later interpreted an invisible return of Christ, uh, uh, predicted the rapture in 1910, followed by the end of the world in 1914. And then later, how the Jehovah's Witnesses had interpreted it as an invisible return of Christ. And they are staunch on this 1914, because I've talked to them for seven years. They are staunch and believe strongly that that was his invisible return. Uh, 99 Reasons Why No One Knows When Christ Will Return by B.J. you know, I got that out of, uh, of 99 reasons why no one knows that Christ will return, and this is one of those. Now, 1914 was one of 
one of the more important estimates of the start of the War of Armageddon by Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. They computed 1914 from prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 4. The writings referred to seven times. The uh, <coughs> Watchtower Society uh, interpreted each time as an equal equal to 360 days, giving a total of 2,520 days. So if anyone has been at your door and started talking about days like this, you may wonder what that is. This was further interpreted as representing two 2,520 2, years measured from the starting date of 607 BCE. And they do BCE because they do not want to go Anno Domino, which is after Christ and give him glory when Jehovah was the only one to give glory, not Jesus. I'm not going into Jehovah's Witness doctrine because that's not what we're talking about. We have so much to cover here. It's it's great material. This gave 1914 as the target date in Charles Russell after being exposed to the teachings of William Miller um, and all those days. William Miller was actually somebody who was preaching about this end time stuff, which fascinated Charles Russell. And he founded his own organization. Uh, the Charles Russell founded his own organization. And <clears throat> JWs, here are um, here are other dates the Watchtower Society predicted. 1975 looked likely it was computed as the 6,000th anniversary of the creation of Adam in the Garden of Eden in 4,000. 26 BECE. They interpreted Psalms 9010. So they're using scripture. You, you see, they, they use scripture, but they're interpreting Psalms 9010 as defining the length of a generation to be 80 years. Since 1914 plus 80 equals, it is 1994, and that's how they came up with that day. They predicted Armageddon would occur around that year. The latest estimate was 6,000 years after the creation of Eve, which uh, no date can be determined in any accuracy. Now, 1914 was the end of the world, of course. Uh, it was an invisible return. In 1980, a new math didn't help the Jehovah's Witnesses from striking out again. They said, well, wait a minute, it wasn't 1914, it was 1918. And they thought maybe they'd have a better look with 1925, and they, always, they already possessed the title of the most wrong predictions uh, at that point. And they would expand on it in years to come. The biggest one uh, since this time has been 1975. There was so much uh, uh, material sent out about that. People were actually quitting their jobs or they were wrapping up things. They knew that they weren't going to get married, all these things, because the end of the world was coming and they wanted to have their their families in this new world in which they predicted. A lot of people left the Jehovah's Witnesses after 1975 and nothing came of that. The failure of the forecast did not affect the growth of the movement, though, or the Watchtower magazine. And believe it or not, it has over 13 million, 13 million subscri subscribers. Sorry. How can a person still believe in a group that makes so many false predictions? And, you know, because God tells us in Deuteronomy 18, 19 through 25, 23, not to listen to them. And this is where it says, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks by my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods 
is to be put to death. So, you know, we don't, I think as the Christians feel like they're putting them to death when they come to the door, but, you know, by saying, sending them away, but I can't resist. I have to let them in. Uh, you, may, you may say to yourself, the scripture's gone, how can we know when a message has not been spoken of the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a, me- that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, and do not be alarmed. So Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you to be alarmed because the end of the world, and they're still preaching the end of the world. Um, how do they overcome this a great prediction uh, debacle? Well, just recently, even this year, when I met with Jehovah's Witnesses, they brought me this new video about the predictions because I was kind of asking about that. And they brought me the uh, uh, new video that they created about what happened, why didn't, you know, what would happen with those predictions. And how they they get over this is by Proverbs four seventeen through 19. And they said, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full day of light. But the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness today and do not, do not know what makes them stumble, which they only do the first half of that verse, by the way. And they say that those prophets were, you know, those dates were kind of speaking presumptuously in that uh, we didn't have as much knowledge as we do now. So don't listen to it. <clears throat> There's also been some very crazy prophecies as well. Listen to some of these. These are kind of fun because they're so crazy. You think, wow, did they have a following? In 1804, Mary Bateman, who specialized in fortune telling, so you know it's not Christian, had a magic chicken that laid eggs with end time messages on them. One message said that Christ was coming. The uproar she created ended when she was caught forcing the egg into the hands of a duck by an unannounced visitor. Mary later was hanged for poisoning a wealthy client. Interesting. 1814. Spiritualist jo- Joanna Selscott made a startling claim that she, by virgin birth, would produce the second Jesus Christ. Her abdomen began to swell, and so did the crowds of people around her. Amazing. How can this bring people? It makes me wonder. The time of the birth came and passed. She died soon after. An autopsy revealed it had been a false pregnancy. So however that had happened, I don't know. But how weird is that? 1977. Who can forget this one? We all remember the killer bee scare of the late 70s, if you're old enough to remember that I am, so I do remember that. One prophecy prognosticator linked the bees to Revelation 9, 3 through 12. After 20 years of progression, and the bees are still in Texas, so we thought we were going to have all these killer bees come up from Texas and kill us all. This was the sign of the time. Um, you know, in, in in this chart where I got this, it's a, he was quite funny. He said he's he's beginning to think they're killer snails because they didn't go anywhere. Okay, 1997. I don't know how many people remember the Hellbop comment in the Heaven Gate, Heaven's Gate cult. It was a very sad story. I studied them. 
not before, of course, but after I did a lot of study on Heaven's Gate cult. And they thought, they were being told that, that they're going to transform into a higher evolved creature. And that this comet, the tail of the comet, on that tail was the spaceship in which it was going to take them to this higher plane of existence. And then through doing, killing yourself, they were going to trans, transfer to this higher evolved state. And so uh, a whole group of them actually killed themselves uh, in procession, in ritual, and so by drinking poison. So that was pretty sad. Now, today's headlines, you see, what about the current prophecy? We have recently uh, headlined in the news lately about the Judgment Day will happen on May 21st, 2011. Uh, 11. This was the end of the world will follow shortly after on October 21st, 2011. So we had what? February, March, April, May. Three months. A lot of preaching is going on right now about this particular site. Now on this site, if you go there, at the very, very top of it, it says <clears throat> that uh, no... It's amazing. I can't laugh. At the very top of the website, it says, no man knows. Actually, the Bible reveals we can know at this time. <laughs> it sounds like like an oxymoron. It says, no man knows. Actually, the Bible reveals we can know. So they're actually refuting what the Bible says, that no man can know. So starting with that, calculating from the time of the flood using 7,000-year calculations, they have come up with this date as the official date of the end. Now, if you notice a pattern, it's a lot of date setting, a lot of dates, 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 thousands of years, one year. And so sometimes people can't really follow that, so they just kind of listen. And it sounds fascinating, but they really can't listen to what is actually being said. Now, here's a brief snippet of what they say. The year 2011 A.D. will be the 7,000 years from the flood of Noah's day. It will be the end of the length of time given to mankind to find grace in God's sight. This means that the time to find refuge in Christ has grown extremely short. We are only a little ways off from the year 2011 A.D. <clears throat> well, and this was preached before the end of the year. It is not unusual that God's people have been given insight into the timing of the end of the world. And as we see, it's not unusual that there's a lot of false predictions, too. Actually, the Bible, they go on, actually quoting from the website. Actually, the Bible tells us this is normally the case. Go figure. I don't understand why they can say that. In times past, God has warned his people of approaching periods of judgment. Oh, there you go. There's the kicker. Yes, God is called judgment. You know, the Bible is the best dated book. The Old Testament has so many fulfilled, exact fulfilled prophecy, exact dates, exact fulfillment. And you know that at, at the end of the time, when Jesus comes again, is the only time that the Bible doesn't predict an exact time, an exact date. Now, we keep trying to figure that out. And he said we will know the season and to watch. Those are the things he tells us. Anyway, it goes on. They use Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord will not do nothing 
do nothing, but he will reveal us his secret unto his servants, the prophets. They also use Hebrews 11:7 by faith, Noah being warned of God of the things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness which is by faith. Now, Judgment Day is May 21st, 2011. We know that the year 2011 is the 7,000th year from the flood. We also know that God will destroy this world in that year. But when in 2011 will this occur? The answer is amazing, as they say. They continue. Let's take another look at the flood account in the book of Genesis. So they go back to the book of Genesis, and they go to Genesis 7:11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, exact date, and they emphasize this, the same day <clears throat> were, were all fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven opened. Faithful to, to his word, God did bring the flood seven days later in the 600th year and the 17th day of the second month was a specific date. So he did do specific dates. But the last day, which Jesus himself didn't even know, and the angels didn't even know, he didn't set. But we can. Go figure. If If it was anywhere written in the Old Testament, Jesus would have found that out and told us. Um, so, uh, securing the safety of his occupants and also stealing the state. So it goes on like that. So, you know, when you take scripture and then you make it say what you want it to say and you say, wow, this is cool, but take it out of context. It doesn't really say that. Uh, you can be guaranteed that this prediction will join numerous other failed predictions, and we'll watch and we'll see this. Luke said earlier, you know, like I said, Luke said earlier that, but about the day and hour, no one knows. Be or Matthew, I'm sorry, it's Matthew. Uh, no one knows. Be on guard. Be lit. Alert. Do not you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard, be alert. That is what we're supposed to be doing. In the end of the age if the end of the age could be figured out, we would know that. So what about today? Are we actually living in the final chapter of history? What do you think about that? Are we living? Could it really be possible that we are living in the time period where we might perhaps see the fulfillment of prophecies spoken in the book of Daniel and Revelation? About these days, Daniel says in 12, verses 3 and 4, he says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Take note of that, time of the end, that phrase, time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Are we those? Who these words were sealed for? Is it our is it our time that we can say without a doubt that this is in is whom the angel spoke of? Are we are we that people? How do we know? What are we looking for? What are you you know? Should we pay attention? Now, according to the Pure Research um, Foundation, and it's not just Christians who are you know. Going on, you know, the Left Behind series, all that, all these. Uh, my favorite back in the 80s was Hal Lindsey. Today, I don't exactly believe everything 
that I read then with Hal Lindsey, but I loved reading his books. Uh, Satan's Alive and Well on Planet Earth, and There's a New World Coming, uh, uh, 1980s Countdown to Armageddon. So that was really big. I have all those books. Love it. But I don't agree with everything now because I feel like I've matured and understand the scriptures a little bit better. But anyway, according to the Pew Research Foundation, about one in five Americans believe that the Christ will return in the current generation, in our generation. Along with a particular <clears throat> biblical science, the world seems to be racing toward Armageddon. It just seems like it. For me, it seems like it. I love that Daniel 12 passage. I can, I, I personally, I can see it. I can feel it. I can sense it. But am I sensing something I shouldn't be sensing? Should I? What is giving me credibility? What is giving that? Do I have something to back that up? Anyway, yet every generation since the first coming of Christ has lived with the hope that it could be the terminal generation that Christ would return at any moment. What makes ours different? Now, are these signs that we can be guaranteed we live in a time of what we read in history? Uh, it says in uh, one of the books uh, that I want to suggest to you, Mark Hitchcock's book. I don't agree with everything Mark Hitchcock says, but um, he is uh, the author of 2012, The Bible and the Answer of the World. And I actually took his Mayan uh, information out, which we'll be talking about here out of this book. Uh, published by Harvest House Publishers. Um, he is the author of the late, great United States, which I enjoyed that book up until halfway through it, and then I kind of lost my interest in it. But <clears throat> this one was pretty good. It had a lot of good information. I'm going to share some of that with you today. In that book, he says this, Crises of alarming complexity are emerging and accelerating with frightening regularity. Depletion of vital resources, a peak in oil production, food shortages, nuclear threats, economic meltdowns, and rumors of wars, turmoil in the Middle East, record tsunamis, erratic weather patterns. You know, and as I as I read what he's saying, we can all say yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. Unprecedented earthquakes and the escalation of the catastrophic storms. And I have a friend who actually studies the earthquakes and amazing how many earthquakes are happening today that we don't even know of or hear about. <clears throat> she should have her own little system here, but she does it online. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, life on planet Earth over the past, last few years has been anything but business as usual. Now, how do we know if we are living in a time that's any different than what the apostles experienced? Surely there were no nuclear warheads or oil or world wars, so the, that, of course, is different. And what's the deal about the date 2000 or December 21st, 2012? Now, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about this year, 2012. Do you know that Many religions are are hanging on to this day. Do you know that many religions of the world is the, their fall, their their the trust in what they're saying is based on this date? Why are there religions on the face of the earth or in history that have predicted this date? You've got a few. You've got the Mayans. You've got. Um, <coughs> Nostradamus, you've got 
some Indians, and we're going to go through some of those. I will uh, tell you about that in just a second. Now, I guess it would be easier to say we're way out there if, if we weren't also hearing catastrophic, destructive prophecies from other sources. Now, does the date, December 21st, 2012, have any significance? Should the church jump on this worldwide bandwagon of predictions? So many are making their bets on this day. It makes you wonder what will happen if nothing happens and will nothing happen. Let's take a look at these predictions and what they're saying. And what about the year 2012? And then we'll go back and we'll, we'll uh, talk about a little bit of the, the end of the age or the signs or what we're watching for um, <clears throat> in light of biblical prophecy. Uh, it seems like all ancient sources agree the world will end in 2012. After all, they say it can't be, be sheer coincidence that so many primitive diviners, psychics, and astrologers agree, and that is out of Mark Hitchcock's book, 2012, Bible and the End of the World. Um, now, in the New York Times, July 1st, 2007, something says something. I think we're heading for an impending disaster. Other feel others feel that <clears throat> the year 2012 will bring a quantum leap, a great shift, a spiritual enlightenment, evolution, and emergence of all that is. Now, if you followed me in the emergent church movement, they agree with this. They believe, I don't know about the date, 2012, but they do believe right now we're in a time of great emergence, that uh, enlightenment, and there is a period that is going to be the kingdom of God that is going to bring on this enlightenment. This is the emergent church, which is actually infiltrating many churches today, even the, the, the Protestant churches, evangelical churches, are receiving some of these leaders. If you're interested, go back to some of my shows, and, and I think the second one is where I actually point out the leaders of this movement. <clears throat> Excuse me for uh, uh, clearing my voice a lot, if you can bear with me. Um, I'll try my best to be able to speak to you without um, having to fix my voice. Uh, Greg Braden in Factual Times says this, the Mayan calendar is at the center of, of a cultural phenomena. To some, 2012 will bring the end of time. To others, it carries the promise of a new beginning. Still others, 2012 provides an explanation for troubling new realities. Environmental change, for example, that seem to be beyond the control of our technology and impervious to reason. Just in time for the final five-year countdown, the Mayan apocalypse has come of age. Now, <clears throat> another person says in, in uh, what is it? Oh, actually, I said that was the New York Times that I just read. It says, um, the prophecies of Nostradamus, Edgar Casey, the Aztecs, the Hopi, the Maya, and others have sent a re reverberations of an unmistakable message about throughout time. Separated by hundreds of years of history and thousands of miles of distance, all po point to now. 
In his book, Apocalypse 2001, An Investigation into Civilizations, and Lawrence E. Joseph states, The 2012 deadline is the first time in modern history when so much is on the line for so many. The year 2012 has the mark of destiny upon it. He appraises that the likelihood of planet-wide catastrophe sorry, in 2012 by presenting convincing scientific evidence of looming chaos and even mass extinction. In his following book, Aftermath, A Guide to Preparing for and Surviving Apocalypse 2012, he says... He answers the most pressing question to arise from the investigation. What can we do to mitigate the coming cataclysm? So in other words, do we have any power or control to stop this from happening? Can we change the way we live? Can we do this? And there is also a TV program I was watching last night on the Internet that how they are predicting people, scientists, whatever, environmentalists, are predicting that the U.S., is is going to fall soon and that um, there is going to be great disaster economically, uh, food shortages, all kinds of stuff. This is not even Christian. They're saying this about the United States. It was quite compelling, but yet at the same time kind of uh, conspiratorial. Now, he answers the most pressing question, and here it is. Here, here Joseph presents the latest findings about the threats to our life on Earth, including an all-out collapse of power grids and satellite systems resulting from solar flares from the sun, expected to climax with unprecedented ferocity in 2012. Im- implicit. Uh, plagues, famines, droughts, and runaway global warming are also assessed for their catastrophic potential. So this is like a you know a workbook or a textbook that says you know this is what's going to happen and what can we do about it. Okay, some believe that there's going to be catastrophe, and others believe that there is going to be uh, enlightenment. Now, the New Age movement contends the momentous change in era of quant that at this time it's going to be a momentous change in era of quantum transformation, and it's coming at the winter solstice for the northern hemisphere in the year 2012. December 21st, 2012 is the winter solstice. Now, fueling the hype is that the fact that December 21st, 2012 falls on the winter solstice. And the allegedly <clears throat> and allegedly marks the first time in more than five thousand years that the galactic alignment of the sun and the earth with the center of the Milky Way galaxy will occur. Many believe this is crossing is crossing the great galactic equator. Uh, it could cause the Earth's poles to reverse, which would obviously be a very bad thing. There will be super volcanoes, which are powerful as as one thousand, you know, the, the um, as one thousand Hiroshima's type atomic bombs. For some New Agers, there won't be any catastrophe, but instead, 2012 marks the opportunity for a New Age begin, new beginning, a new phase of human growth, or what they sometimes call the shift. And do you know, in the emerging church, which is in the church, is saying that we are under a great shift. The emergent church is new age. 
and new age morphed into Christian lingo and language. So be aware and start listening for that new age stuff when you hear the emerging church. For others in this group, 2012 helps provide answers for all kinds of unsettling developments ranging from hurricanes, floods, and the disappearance of bees. Um, So what exactly is the winter solstice? This is the shortest day of the year, respectively, in each hemisphere. When the sun has reached its furthest point from the equator, it also marks the first day of winter, and I'm getting this out of Answers.com. The winter solstice has played an important role in art, literature, mythology, and religion. Really not our religion, but other religions, not Christianity. It hasn't been any, there hasn't been any uh, special significance within Christianity, but other religions. So there were many pre-Christian seasonal traditions making the winter solstice, and huge bonfires were an integral part of the ancient solar rites. Now, this, I believe, is a, is a misunderstanding of what, it was pre-Christian, yeah, it was, forgive me, I thought they said Christian, but it's pre-Christian season, that was tradition, and Christian, um, and we actually um, did some things to overwrite that with our Christianity, and we did celebrations near that time so that we could, uh, people would be tempted to celebrate them. Although winter was regarded as a season of dormancy, darkness, and cold, the gradual lengthening of the days after the winter solstice brought on a more festive mood. To many people, this return of the light was cause for celebration. That cycle of nature was continuing. Now, at Condagrove.com, which is is not a Christian site, uh, they they say... um, Many many cultures the world over perform solstice ceremonies at their root and ancient fear that the failing light would never return unless humans intervened with anxious vigil or antic celebration. Uh, the Stonehenge that you see, those rocks standing up, this was part of the winter solstice. The utterly astounding array of ancient cultures built their greatest architectures, tombs, temples, uh, Cairns and sacred observatories, so that they may align with the solstices and the equinoxes. Many of us know that a Stonehenge is a perfect marker of both solstices, and it actually um, does a lot with the stars and the moon. And we know the Bible says not to worship the stars and the moon and go by dates and celebration. Now, some of the rituals that happen at this time is. Um, some people people who are not Christian will um uh cleanse their home with and their self their them, themselves with herbs, soaps, incense and healings. When uh they meditate and pray and chant mantras together, you know, that's what they do, calling on the saints, listen, saints, masters, your angels, your spirit guides to assist you in your ritual being a success. So you're calling on all the heavenly beings and all these other things that we know we're not supposed to call on. The Yule logs, mistletoe, holly, ivy, evergreens, oak, acorns are acceptable, and wheat, not in flower form. Seeds, chaff, and stalks are needed into your home as for at least the duration of the ritual. So you have all these rituals with the earth. It's real pagan. <clears throat> this uh, These two days, there's winter solstice and um, so the uh, of course the harvest 
and the, the equinox are all also occultic days. And on these days, and I've talked to people who have been in the occult or raised in the occult, said that they actually do perform human sacrifices on the winter solstice. Now, how the Mayan year 2012 was discovered? In his book uh, by um, Marge Hitchcock that I've been talking about, uh, he does a real good study on the Mayans, and I'm going to share some of that with you today. I may skip some because I really want to speak a little bit about Nostradamus and, um, you know, go from there. Uh, the man who put 2012 on the map is Jose Arguelles. Not sure if I said his last name right. A R G U E L L E S, who authored a book in 1987 titled The Mayan Factor. He also established the Harmonic Convergence in 1987, if you remember that, in the New Age. 1987 was that where they hung on the hands all across the earth and they did, they did the Harmonic Convergence. After the Harmonic Convergence, the, the 2012 apocalyptic subculture began to emerge. The 2012 movement has remained under the radar for almost 20 years, but has suddenly exploded into the mainstream. Many people today are what's being called the 2012 Curious. A whole new area of study known as 2012-ology has erupted, and 2012 conferences are being held all over the world. The first major conference on 2012 was held in Hollywood, no surprise to that, on March 1st, 2008. Another conference with about 300 attendees from as far away as, as Europe was held at the Fort Mason Center in San Francisco on November 1st and 2nd, 2008. It was dubbed the Shift by the Bay, and the conference slogan was Shift Happens. <laughs> what does that sound like? The conference organizer... Christian John Mioli plans to schedule 12 2012 conferences in various places around the globe to prepare for the big day. Now, this is what's happening at some of these conferences. This is what it would look like. In these times of economic distress, participants shelled out $300 each to attend the sold-out 2012 conference where astrologers, UFO fans, shamans, and new age entrepreneurs of every type presented their dreams and their dreads in two days of lectures, group meditation, documentaries, and, of course, self-promotion. Normally, new age platforms attract the interest of only the narrowest group of enthusiasts. But this one has been generating wider audiences because it is so forcefully so forcefully underscores the turmoil of our times. As indicated by the stock market plunge, Iran's nuclear ambitions, the September 11th attack, global warming, and the possibility of the magnetic pole shift and stronger sunspot cycles. So a lot of people are getting into this. Now, <clears throat> the Mayans, they think most think the Mayans are the key According to the 2012-ologist, the Mayan code is the master code. It is the galactic code. And according to the Mayan calendar, we are in the end times. So here we're saying we're in the end times or we're feeling or I'm feeling, you know, biblically that we may be in the end times. Will I be here to see this? But we're also having non-Christians saying we are in the end times. 
the Maya weren't just interested in time. They were obsessed with it. They were galactic masters. The Mayan calendar keeps painstakingly charted they keepers painstakingly charted the cycles of the moon, the sun, and Venus. Their uncanny accuracy was not duplicated until modern times. As Lawrence Joseph notes, without telescopes or any other apparatus, Mayan astronomers calculated the length of the lunar month to be 29.53020 days, whatever. Within 34 seconds of what we know to this actual length of 29. Point five three oh five nine days. So they did this without computer calculations. So when we do the computer calculations, this is what we come up with. Overall, the 2,000-year-old Mayan calendar is believed to, by many to be more accurate than the 500-year-old Gregorian calendar we use today. Their solar year was estimated to be 365.2450 days minus an error of... 0.002%. Our <clears throat> modern calendar calculates it as 365.2425 plus an error of 0.0003. And the Mayan astronomers did all this with the help, without the help of telescopes, computers, or calculators. Just in hearing this alone gives um, some understanding of why Mayans are so trusted when predicting the time. So, you know, they are they are seen as the cornerstone of predictions, of this time prediction. Um, for the Mayan, time was holy. It has its own set of qualities that reflected in events. Time formed history, not the other way around. So time formed the history, not the other way around. Time was not... A succession of days. It was the enactment of a cosmic plan. The calendars contain the map of this plan. The Mayan time codes are very elaborate and precise. For them, it was all about numbers and cycles. Their calendars meticulously measured cycles. So this is why we're looking at this through the Mayan's eyes. There are approximately 20 different calendars that they used. <coughs> And they do it, They one is called the solar calendar, um, known as the Hab or the Vag year, was based on the uh, celestial cycle. It came three, contained 365 days split into 18 months or 20 days. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these because I'm just going to give you, you know, a little taste of them. The Zolkin, the ceremonial or sacred calendar related to the Venus cycle, it contained 265 days known as the sacred sacred cycle. So they had the sacred cycle and they had that month left over period of days. And so you get an idea that they do it in cycles. Long count calendar. And this was used to document the world age of cycle that repeated over and over. The calendar was divided into five units that extended forward and backward from the mythical creation of the Maya, which they believed was August 11, 3114 B.C. That date is represented on the Mayan long count calendar as 00001, but many do not believe that the date will come. <clears throat> According to the Maya, the Maya, all five great cycles are supposed to end in destruction. The year 2012 is the year that the fifth cycle is supposed to end. The Maya system was so precise it has not slipped one day in over 25 centuries. So what will happen? Um, 
They say on December 21st, 2012, the winter solstice for the northern hemisphere, the sun and the earth will line up with the galactic center of the Milky Way. We now live in the uncharted waters of the final great cycle. Mayan cosmology predicts five cycles, each lasting 5,125 years. Four have passed, each allegedly ending in destruction. The fifth cycle is set to end on December 21, 2012. Is this doomed to stay? To know what conditions the 2012 calendar end date may have in store, it is important to bear in mind that 2012 marks the completion of not only one, but two nested cycles of time. The 5,125-year great cycle for the world cycle that ends then is part of the larger 26,000-year professional cycle that also is coming to a close at the same time. So this is, I know these numbers are probably driving you nuts in you know, you don't really want to hear the numbers. But when you see these numbers coming together, you, you know, people are are spattering and saying that, wow, how can this be? They've got to have some kind of, <clears throat> they have to have some kind of information. How do they get it? Now, they had historical record books kind of tell a little bit. They've lost a couple of them, but they found one which tells them some information about, about what these minds are predicting. And the first one is the Medrid Codex and then the Paris Codex. The Dresden Codex is the one that they found information in. The best described, this is, this is best described as the 11th century Mayan picture book. It is 74 pages long, was made of material from fig tree bark, and stretches to nearly 20 feet in length covered with paintings, including figures of the Mayan gods. The book is a Mayan hieroglyphic text that provides invaluable information about the Mayan culture. The history of the Dresden Codex is shrouded in mystery. The common theory is that it was taken from the Mayan temple and observatory by Chinchen Itza, at Chinchen Itza by the Spanish conqueror Hernando Cortez, and that's why it's been preserved. It is often considered to be the treatise on astronomy. It contains numerous astronomical and predictive and predictive nature. The codex is consulted today by many to discover important clues about the end of the world and any relation it has to the 2012 end date. Now, the Milky Way, which they, you know, I'm just going to mention, is that they the Mayan actually discovered that there is a deep hole in the star system, <clears throat> which now we understand to be the Milky Way, but they said it was like the birthplace of the stars. They did all this without any kind of tools, you know, the exotic tools we have today. And now we are finding with our computers that they were right about that. So that's another thing they were right about, that that's where, um, you know, stars are apparently being born. There's a black hole there and a whirling disk that was actually drawn on these picture books. So how in the world do they know this? Um, one thing to understand spiritually about the Mayans, and we all know that they did human sacrifices, I really believe when you see all these things that this is an occultic thing and that only beings who had been here for, for from the beginning of time, who knows the universe, who knows God's creation, can actually transfer that information. And we know that they were 
they did human sacrifices. I want to tell you a little bit of story of how how much they were into um um you know worshiping and the stars and and that you can kind of see where the occultic lies. Um uh, their pyramids and t- temples were laid out to align with astronomical events and reflect the cosmos. Even private homes were carefully aligned. The four corners of every house were aligned with the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Windows were carefully placed to make certain the sun shined on certain objects at certain times. To put the Mayan pyramids in historical perspective, the pyramid in Cuchiloco, Mexico, was constructed in 2750 B.C., about the same time the Stonehenge, which we believe is occultic as well, and pagan. So you've got, you've got the Mayan Pyramid, you've got Stonehenge, which was built in England, and the Great Pyramid in Egypt that was built about 200 years later in 2560 B.C. Now, it's fascinating that there are all, all these mysterious stone structures were built at the same time at different locations far away from each other. Now, the Chichen Itza snake shadow is an interesting story, and this is where it tells you what they actually worshipped. Uh, the city's biggest attraction, even today, to this day, is the amazing astrono- astronomical event that occurs every spring equinox. Get that? Every spring equinox. These, when when you hear the spring equinox today, it is occultic and and Satanists worship Satan on this day. I had somebody I knew who who could, who was raised in the occult. Um, I had a few people that I knew, but one in particular, she was raised in the, the occult, and she, uh, growing up in it, she became a Christian later on in life. But for a week. The week before the sol the winter solstice and the equinox, and also during the harvest, which is the satanic ha- Halloween, she was visited by demons not 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 ghostly things but demons, grotesque creatures who would who would attack her even as a christian and we prayed one time and 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 for the first time in forty some years uh they left her alone uh so um, yeah, she knew. And so I strongly believe that uh, these equinox and what they do today and maybe what they did then, then was occultic. Anyway, on this day, March 21st, thousands of visitors pack in around the pyramid of Kukulkan and prepare to watch the shadow play caused by the late afternoon sun. Around 4 p.m., the rays of the sun cast shadow that looks... <clears throat> like a undulating snake onto the side of the north stairway. A serpent's head carved in a stone at the base of the stairway completes the picture of an upside-down serpent, a deity serpent descending from the sky. Now listen carefully. That is quite common in Mesoamerican art. You can Im- on, one can imagine the snake's tail or rattle points through the roof of the little room on the top of the pyramid. Kukla Khan, also known as Quetzalcoatl, was the feathered serpent or the plumed god. The pyramid of Kukla Khan, which is also called El Castillo, has a large serpent's head at its base, 
When the shadow of the serpent slithers down and reaches the bottom of the pyramid, it unites with the sculpted head of the Kuklakan. For the Maya, this symbolizes the return of Kuklakan or Quetzalcoatl. To this day, as a spring solstice, 50,000 people gather at Chichen Itza to witness this event. Still goes on. So, you know, I, I strongly believe that that uh, their information may have been celestial, uh, demonic, and that's why they know. Now, we've got Nostradamus. We only have about 14 minutes left. So I, I'm going to briefly go into Nostradamus. I really wanted to read to you a chapter or the introduction of a book I have called the Millennium Edition, um, The Complete Prophecies of Nostradamus, translated, edited, and interpreted by Henry C. Roberts. He actually, in the introduction, says um, that, uh, you can see it's occultic, and I really kind of wanted to read that to you. So we'll see what kind of time we have, and I'm not sure I'll be able to do that. Um, But he does say, that um Nostradamus's um his his prophecies are are produced by channel uh, satanic occultic inspiration. Now just a mention of his name conjures up of gloom and doom. He is unquestionably the king of secular doomsday series. Michel Michel de Nostradamus Better known as Nostradamus, was born in Saint-Rémy-Provence, France, in 1503. You like my accent because I am French and I went to France, to Paris. So I give you a little taste. And he died in 1566. He came from a long line of Jewish doctors and scholars. The family converted to Christianity in 1502. Nostradamus was an applicant apothecary, and that is a medieval pharmacist, as well as a popular astronomer and seer. His best-known book is Les Prophéties, or The Prophecies. Nostradamus began to write his prophetic verses in the city of Salon in 1544. They are divided into ten sections called centuries, which refers to the number of verses in each section, not to unite not to unit of 100. Uh, the centuries were published in 1555 and 1558 and have been in print continuously ever since. During Nostradamus's life, the Black Death or bubonic plague wiped out over a quarter of Europe. To come up with his predictions, he used a technique called the scrying or to reveal. The technique, which is an occult practice, requires concentration on a shiny object, crystal ball, bowl of water, mirror, and whatnot, until normal vision recedes and other visions were seen. Now, Nostradamus used bowls of water. He surrounded his writing table with candles and waiting with quill and ink while he gazed into the bowl. Nostradamus had visions which he translated into words. So this is how he did that. Most of Nostradamus's quatrains deal with devastation and disasters, such as plagues, earthquakes, wars, floods, invasions, murders, droughts, famines, and battles. Many believe that he predicted Hitler's name, although he was off by a 
one letter, and a description of the Nazi swastika, the discoveries of penicillin, nuclear energy, and the AIDS virus, the demise of communism, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and the end of the world in 2012. So they've say there is that common prophecy of 2012. The last book of Nostradamus has recently been discovered, and if anybody has seen this show on History Channel, it's quite interesting to to view that show. Um, it, it talks about this mysterious book. According to the documentary, this last book contains seven stark images, tables, or Ignamic drawings that, according to experts, tell a story that points to a coming apocalypse in 2012. And that is the last book of Nostradamus. It is critical for us to remember that the Bible strictly forbids this kind of divination and fortune telling that Nostradamus practiced. What he engaged is was not he engages with not harmless, incoctuous, or are not harmless and entertaining practice. It was divination, which is explicitly condemned in the Bible. You find that condemned in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, 20 and 22. I'm not going to read these. You can go look them up. Isaiah 47, 13 through 14, Jeremiah 27, 9, and Revelation 21, 8. Those who traffic in divination, spiritism, sorcery, and other occultic practices practices are explicitly warned by God and we are commanded not to listen to the presumptuous prophecies. Nostradamus' prophecies are false prophecies derived from the unbiblical practice of divination and sorcery. <clears throat> so, the other thing that I'm not going to have time to talk about is the Bible codes and what you know that is actually um, something that some people want to talk about but we're not going to get that to that um, now, what I want to really kind of switch to is, now, what do we see in our time? What does the Bible tell us to do in our time? Are we actually living in a time, the time of the end? Are we going to be seeing some of these things? Now, John F. Walvoord, in his book Armageddon, Oil in the Middle East Crisis, says this, a student of Bible prophecy observes the proper interpretation principles. They are becoming increased, as, as the student observes these, they are becoming increasingly aware of the remarkable correspondence between the obvious trend of world events and what the Bible predicted a millennia ago. Now, there is a lot of debate to what this means because for centuries now we every century every everyone thought they're in their last days um but there are some unique things that we need to watch the bible talks about watching it doesn't talk about predicting it says do not predict but to watch be alert see and and see the times because you know what Things are changing. But I'm just going to lay out to you some of the things that, that people are seeing today that might be a remarkable thing that tells us that there might be something unique about our age. What are some of the signs today that indicate the Lord might return in our day and our time? Well, one, the Jewish people began to regather in their homeland, um, and and the modern state of Israel was born in May 14, 1948. That was a prophecy in um that was made in Ezekiel. The Bible too, the Bible predicts in Daniel chapter two and seven and Revelation chapter thirteen and seventeen. And the Roman Empire will be united in the end times. 
with a half a billion people from 27 nations and powerful currency, the euro, which has kind of faded a little bit. I think there's something new that will come about. The European Union could be a forerunner to this end time, so, you know, super state. Now, when you hear these things, you just kind of watch them, because I remember when I said, oh, you know, we have to have a one-world dictator come on the scene. And, um, and Russia and the, and the United States were superpowers, and we thought Russia was going to blow us up. But I never imagined that Russia would fall like they did with nothing. There was no war. There was nothing. They just fell. And so I was like, okay, now I can see how this all comes about. But whatever people were saying didn't happen the way it said. So now, three, 50 years ago, no one could have imagined that the Middle East would be the focus of the world. Yet today, with almost two-thirds of the world's proven oil reserves, radical Islam, and the Middle East crisis, this this is the region is, is constantly a front and center in our news. World focus on the Middle East is another Middle East um, is a development that bears remarkable correspondence to Bible prophecy. And the fact that um, what we're seeing today, do you know that in Islam that they are predicting the coming of the last imam to come and then that will usher in the end times. And do you know that they have prophecies predicting for the year 2012? I'm actually going to do my, I'm not sure if it's the next show or the next following show. Um, I'm going to do one on on the last imam in, in this year 2012. And what does that mean for us? And I'm also going to do one on the age of Aquarius. And what does the new age, what are they saying that they're going to bring in in this time. So I'm going to do two different shows to focus on those. I'm thinking about doing The Last Imam next because of the things that are happening in Egypt. It might be prominent. Okay. The fourth one is globalization is here. The 1990s were called the decade of globalization, but the move toward global economy is now a fast forward. You have a global everything now. And the church, the deception within the church is so rampant that it makes you wonder. Because I know that the the right has got to be wrong and right has got to be right and, and there's going to be distortion and people are not even going to know what is the truth and that is happening right now. The global econ- economic meltdown has heightened the call for more global interdependence. The church is calling for inter... Well, the emergent church is calling for interdependence among religions so we can all bring in this utopia that is spoken of. New age. Tell you, it's going to be interesting in the next shows. Five, the Bible predicts that the seven-year tribulation will begin with a peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. The seemingly Middle East crisis peace process points towards this end-time sign of the times. But we're going to. The other fascinating thing is that you know that do you know that they're a, they're a training priests to serve in the temple. They have already made all their temple pieces to rebuild the temple, and that they are actually found a Leviticus. Uh, priesthood, they have identified a lot of these people and they're training them. They're also, the thing that they're missing is the red heifer and they've got to find the red heifer in order to do some of the atonements. I only got about three minutes left and I wanted to, I wanted to <clears throat> close with this. Be wary of speculation. In his book, Three Crucial Questions About the Last Days, Daniel Lewis said this, and I want to, I want to end with this because you've really got to hear what I've got to say about this. It might well be that the ambiguity of the New Testament language is intended precisely to discourage speculation. 
If such ambiguity is intentional or merely incidental, then the attempt to calculate the time of Jesus' return is not a harmless diver- is not a harmless diversion. It is an effort to directly directly opposing the theology of scripture. To be sure, Christians must not lapse into lethargy lethargy concerning the return of Christ, but neither should they entangle themselves in a perpetual motion machine of calendar speculation. Such speculation appears to be be, um, the same human curiosity that fuels interest in the occult, New Age philosophy, and other thought forms that attempt to tap into sources of hidden knowledge. The Bible, far from being revered as God's redemptive revelation of himself in Christ, becomes a cryptic source book by which to predict the future. Prophetic study becomes a temptation toward the sensual. The task of the interpreter is to determine which figurative sense the symbol has in a larger context. This means that the true meaning is not to be found in our present situation, but rather in the use of the symbol in this ancient setting. Very important to understand uh, the end times in light of the Jewish culture and what is in the Old Testament, because understanding that, that uh, is very, very important in understanding. I've got one minute left. Um, The point. God fulfills his own prophecies, sometimes in unexpected ways. The God, uh, that God does so suggests that Christians should be reserved about too confidently putting forth their various theories concerning the time of Christ's return. Now, one professor had it right when he advised his students, draw all your prophecy charts on cheap paper. Then it won't be hard to tear them up. In the end, the question, should Christians try to predict Christ's return, must be answered with a respectful no. And that is because we are to watch and we are supposed to allow God to bring about the fulfillment of his end-time prophecy. And we might be able to have front-row seats of watching this and being partakers and part of it. Be ready, church, because we live in a time unprecedented in all, I believe, in all the futures, uh, the, the history. I hope you join me next week as uh, we are going to further this study in two two separate things, uh, the last imam in 2012 and what that means for us, and also uh, the edge of Aquarius in 2012, what it means for the world and what may happen if there is not a cataclysmic thing happening then what kind of spiritual thing and how do we reconcile that with islam thank you for joining me now my name is brenda johnson and i am the host of as the day approaches i look forward to seeing you next week until then do not grow weary in doing well for in due time you will receive your just reward and don't forget to gather together and talk about these things in which which we, in our day, need to discuss. Good day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.